When was the last time you went to a parade? Uh, for me, it was Christmas. Uh, how many of you went to the Pittsburgh Christmas Parade? How many of you were in the Christmas Parade? <laughs> and that was, that, was a, that was the biggest parade I've ever been in. It was amazing, the length of that thing. And you're laughing because this is, you're thinking this is not a big town. No, 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 this is a big town. But I think parades are funny. I mean, they're, they're interesting, they're, they're fun, but they're kind of funny. People just, they, they make time, they gather on a street, something they sit on the curb, or they, sometimes they'll sit there for hours waiting for this thing or people or group or whatever to pass by so they can wave and get candy. I mean, they... And sometimes it's not just fun. Sometimes it's there to show support. Uh, sometimes it's to celebrate something or to honor someone. And they come in all shapes, sizes, and varieties. When, when we had our ministry in, in Galesburg for uh, nearly 14 years, uh, Galesburg, if you don't know, is a tiny town. It's probably 120 people, just 45 minutes away or so. And so when we had the Galesburg Days Parade, just right down Main Street, right? All two blocks of it. And it always started, like many parades do, with, with some men from a local American Legion, the George L. Hendricks American Legion Post 102, presenting colors. And most people would get up out of their lawn chairs and stand, and even, you know, hand on the heart kind of thing. Others wouldn't, and I never understood that. Some people just running around, not paying attention to what's going on. And I was kind of wondering why they were there and until I realized, oh, there's the Highland Dairy Truck passing out ice cream sandwiches. That was a treat. But anyway, there was the, you know, the Erie High School marching band, the, all the volunteer fire department vehicles that were all scrubbed up. And, and maybe uh, I've seen a couple state representatives in their, in their car and they drive by waving and stuff. And there's always a flatbed trailer with a bunch of 4-H kids on it or, you know, a football team or something like that. And in Galesburg, it was like, after all that stuff was done, you could be in the parade. I mean, any number of four-wheelers, kids on bikes, it didn't matter. If you could just walk out there and start walking. Just, hey, how you doing? You know, it didn't matter. And it was Galesburg. Nobody, everybody knew who you were. If they didn't, and they knew somebody that knew you. And always... At the last bit, well, for the most part, the ladies at the Chanute Bit and Spur Saddle Club would bring up the rear because, you know, nobody wants to follow horses in a parade. It was short, it was sweet, and if you were fast, you could catch the marching band as they rounded the corner block. You know, you had to go through somebody's yard to get there, but you could see them again um, on their way back to the school. I mean, there are, there are Christmas parades, there are military parades, there's a Rose Bowl parade. I mean... That's a major deal. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, do they still do that? I don't know. And then there are sports championship parades, right? In 2015, uh, this sea of blue, I think they estimated 800,000 Royals fans came out after um, they won the World Series. And then all that blue turned to red this last month when the Chiefs were greeted after winning their Super Bowl. There, but there's, there's one thing about those kind of parades. There's no guarantee of that happening next year. I mean, none. A few teams have won Super Bowls back-to-back. -back. I mean, the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Broncos, and I hate to admit it, but the Patriots. I mean, 
I learned to hate the Patriots when I was a Colts fan back in Indiana. I was also, and, and if you're a basketball person, I mean, the Celtics won the NBA championship eight years in a row from 59 to 66. But it wasn't like the Celtics were crowned king of basketball forever. They had the next season to start out just like everybody else, zero wins, zero losses, and work their way to a winning season and a championship. There was another parade of sorts a long time ago outside Jerusalem. And it started to the east of town, starting at the Mount of Olives. It wound down into the Kidron Valley and then up toward the Temple Mount. It wasn't a parade that people came to watch. It was a procession of people all on pilgrimage. They were on a journey together, celebrating. Not a winning team, not power, not patriotism, not a nation, but celebrating God who brought them out of slavery from Egypt in hopes that one day, they would be set free again from the oppression that they were under presently under that of Rome. And Jesus, he entered that procession, not just to be another faithful to celebrate the Passover, but he entered it very strategically, very prominently, in order to make a very bold statement that he is king. This week starts a new series in the life of Christ. Every Sunday from now till Easter morning, we'll take a walk through one day of that last week of Jesus' life. The last week of Jesus' life, back in the day, used to be an entire semester course at Ozark Christian College. You could go to South Wilson's class and for an entire semester do nothing but study seven days of Jesus' life. There's that much in there. And today is Sunday. The Sunday, one week before Resurrection Day, the main event being the triumphal entry. That day, Jesus put into motion irrevocably the Father's plan where he would declare his kingship. And he would later wear a crown. But before there were crowns of gold, there would be a crown of thorns. If there's one thing that the triumphal entry tells us, it's what unmistakably told all who were there is Jesus is king. We don't have to go far in Scripture to realize this is true. Revelation 19, 13 and 16 says, He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Jesus is king. John 18.36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is king. Isaiah 9.6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is King. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. 
Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom was one that shall not be destroyed. Everybody say it, Jesus is King. Ephesians 1, verse 21, Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the one to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Say it, Jesus is King. And lastly, Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is King. Now for the Jews in Jesus' day, the Passover feast was still a big deal. Jews and God-fearers from all over the known world would make the trip to the city of Jerusalem and remember the deliverance that God gave them from Egypt. Numbers of people in the city, the surrounding country, the numbers would swell to, well, and like the half a million people all over the countryside. And every family had to sacrifice at the temple. That's a lot of animals. <laughs> And rivers of blood would stream down a specially constructed drainage system that made the valley below very rich and fertile. What did this triumphal entry look like? Well, you could do all kinds of research and all kinds of maps. Jesus coming from Bethany, people coming out from Jerusalem. They want to see Lazarus. Remember, he was raised from the dead not too long before. And Jesus doesn't manufacture this parade. He's just joining the travelers, those that are coming in for the feast. But he inserts himself into the procession intentionally at the right time, riding the right kind of animal to point to the messianic prophecy from Zechariah, hearing the songs and scriptures that expect the Messiah's coming. As the people see him, they connect all the dots together and they begin to not only give praise to God, but honor to Jesus. They give him a king's welcome. They lay branches and cloaks on the road so that the man riding the colt of a donkey would have a path. Before there was ever a red carpet to roll out, the people of Jerusalem gave Jesus a grand entrance. They don't mind calling him the son of David. They understand what that means. They heard the stories of the miracles. They've seen amazing things. They've seen the strife between him and the Jewish establishment. And for the crowds, oh boy, the smell of revolution is in the air. And what better time than Passover? God delivered his people from slavery to the Egyptians 1,500 years before, and maybe, maybe this is the guy that can release us from the bondage of the, of the Romans right now. And when he approached Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, and they asked, who is this? Now, the Romans understood the Jews to be a volatile people, 
And times like these, this nationalistic fevered pitch, they made themselves very prominent as well in Jerusalem. This is why on what some historians call the same day, there was another procession coming into Jerusalem on the other side of the city from another kingdom, another worldview. Historians tell us that Pontius Pilate was leading a Roman military detachment into Jerusalem just to keep a tighter grip on the city during the feast. Pilate's parade of strength contrasted with Jesus' humility. War horses on one side, Jesus riding a colt of a donkey on the other. Soldiers clad in armor, spears, and swords on one side, common worshipers with palm branches on the other, and they would meet in the middle. The Jews to the temple, the center of Passover activity. The Romans to a place called Antonia's Fortress. The Roman garrison built just right next to the temple compound. It would serve as a good vantage point to keep an eye on the Jews to those who might be plotting revolution against the empire. The spectacle was meant to remind the Jews of what had happened the last time they tried to rebel against Rome. It was meant to intimidate people who might think twice about joining such a rebellion. But it wasn't Rome that Jesus came to challenge. During the next few days of that week, Jesus challenged the Jewish religious leaders. On a number of occasions, he evaded their traps, he confounded their arguments, the people thought all this good and well. But Jesus wasn't acting like the deliverer that they thought he should be. By the latter part of the week, it wasn't hard to join those who were plotting against Jesus. The religious leaders had turned on him from the beginning. They even hired people to provide false testimony about him. And there were many, not all, but there were many that turned their minds away. In a matter of days, those that shouted Hosanna might have also shouted crucify him. It happens all the time. If we're not careful, it'll happen to us several times a day. You might not imagine yourself being the kind of person that would go from singing Hosanna to shouting crucify, but all those people did was switch kings. At first they gave praise to God and honor to the son of David, an obvious nod toward their long-awaited Messiah. But after five days, Jesus didn't follow through the way they thought he should have. They went along with the heavy influence of their religious leaders, and they cried out, We have no king but Caesar. Have you been there and done that? I mean, I've seen people go from, Man, I really love this church, to I just can't seem to make it anymore. I've seen people go from, I believe God can take care of my needs, to, I'm not sure God hears my prayers. I've seen people go from, I'm excited about my new life in Christ, to, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. You can start with, I want to serve in any way possible, and end up with, I just don't know when I'll have time. And you can go any number of ways from, I love God with all my heart, to, I'm not even sure he's there anymore. Which kingdom will you choose? You do choose, you know. We all choose. Even by not choosing, we choose something. No matter which parade you join in, God will be praised by someone, even if it's not you. Remember, the Jewish leaders confronted Jesus to shut up his disciples. And what did he say? If these don't 
even the rocks will cry out. All of creation sings praise. The stars proclaim the glory of God. You and I get to choose which parade we're in. Will you choose the strength and security of Rome? Three square meals, self-sufficiency, and your own expectations met by your own God of your own making? Or will you choose the humble king coming in on a donkey's colt, a walk of risk and faith and weakness, maybe danger or loss, sometimes flies in the face of common sense? Are you looking for a king, whether God or the world, who will do for you what you want? Are you a shopping for the best deal, ready to switch at a moment's notice when you, things get a little rough or you don't get what you want when you want it? I think we all say, we all wish we could say with assurance, if I would have been there, if I would have been in that crowd, I wouldn't have turned, I wouldn't have said crucify, I wouldn't have, it's easy to say that. I wouldn't have changed my mind. But any honest assessment from my own standpoint it doesn't take much sometimes to turn our heads away from Jesus after five days five days after five days of praying for something you really thought should happen and it didn't after five days of facing abuse for trying to do the right thing after five days of attempting to be Christ-like to that family member or that coworker that just won't stop stepping on your last nerve, after five days, sometimes it's just five minutes. I'll bet we've all given up and switched parades long enough to set things straight by the force of our own will and our own plans and our own common sense and worldly understanding and conventional wisdom. I, I know I have. I found myself trying to figure out just daily stuff. And it occurred to me yesterday one more time. A lot of you know we're, we're down a car. Somebody ran right into my daughter and smashed her car, and now we're down a vehicle. I'm, I'm, I'm into this car shopping thing, which my wife hates me to do, because um, it always leads to trouble. But anyway, it just occurred to me one more time yesterday, am I asking God to help me find a car? Or am I just on auto trader all day long? You know what I mean? Am I asking God to do this or not do this? Am I asking God to give my heart contentment? Am I saying, King Jesus, if you want us to have a vehicle for, for our daughter, will you lead me to that? Am I saying that? Am I doing that with any regularity? Or am I just trying to solve my own problem in my own way? There's where it gets real. Jesus cares about which car I drive. He cares about what payments I have. He cares about being able to be in on that situation instead of me just handling it on my own and asking God to bless it. We try to grasp control a lot of times, and we don't let Jesus be king when we think, well, that's just not a big deal. You know, I can handle that. But Jesus is king overall. The Pharisees wanted to grasp control over their little world. They feared pushback from the Romans among them, and they said to Jesus, shut up your disciples. Stop, stop saying that. They thought he was wrong, for one thing, but they found themselves powerless to do anything to stop it. I think when we, other people around us get really excited 
and motivated to obey Jesus in new and unfamiliar ways, it's easy for people, it's easy for us who are familiar with the status quo, who have a certain power structure, expectations in place, to with all good intentions resist and even oppose what looks like radical obedience to Jesus. Many of us just don't respond well to change, especially when it's not our idea or change that we see as unnecessary at best, and even downright destabilizing at worst, we want it to stop. But is Jesus our king? Or are traditions and rules and comfort zones and personal reputation on the throne of our hearts? Next time Jesus doesn't deliver the way you think he ought to, will you walk with him longer? Will you wait on him? Will you follow your king to victory? even if it's by unconventional methods such as suffering, self-denial, simple faith. The question is, is Jesus king or not? If he is, he's worth following. If he is, he's worth obeying. If he is, he's worth risking our comforts and our security. If he is, he's worthy of our allegiance and our devotion. If you were to describe Jesus your king, how would you describe him? Let's listen to how this preacher describes Jesus, his king. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is 
you know him man I wish I could preach like that because if you don't know him if you don't know him there's a warning in this text in the text of Luke 19 verse 41 as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city he wept over it and he said if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it's hidden from your eyes Days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Are you paying attention to what God is trying to do? Is the throne of your heart busy with stuff that you want? It's a warning to all who have personal encounter with Jesus and ignore him to rationalize your disobedience. Destruction is your destination. And he's weeping. And he doesn't want that to happen. Don't let that be you. Give Jesus the throne of your heart and your mind. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask that we would humble ourselves to our King, to you, our King, to Jesus, our Redeemer, but also our Lord. And as we worship, as we gather, as we are in our homes and, and in our work, that all would be unto you, our master. And that we would bow the knee to the name of Jesus continually. In his name we pray. Amen.